Hello and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. Now, your ears are not deceiving you. You're hearing a little different audio this week because I, Ryan Quintel, am your only host. That's right. H or Ryan Heyman is out. Um, and that means I am here at the IGN offices in San Francisco, California. And I'm here today with the co-founder of IGN, the incomparable Per Schneider. So I guess you can set aside uh, the Ryan and Ryan confusion this week or the, the H and Q subnames. You can simply call me Ryan. And I guess Pear is Pear. That's it. I can, I can be a Ryan. <laughs> I can be a Ryan, dude. You... Yeah, we usually have to call have people call us by H and Q because okay. we're both right. Ryan. But yeah. uh, you're, you can be P. I guess, or do you prefer S? P, P, P is nice. <laughs> That's what my scale calls me. It can only dis- uh, display three characters. Oh, and unfortunately, okay. cuts off pair as P, as every arcade machine of the, from the 80s did too. Yeah, I mean, you only get three digits in old arcade yeah. machines. Huh? Yeah, not, not happy about that name. Perry, you are the co-founder of IGN.com. You are currently the, what, chief content officer and... How long has IGN been in existence now? Uh-huh. So I, I uh, co-founded the company. So the actual company, IGN Entertainment, the website actually was around already in 1996 as an affiliate network oh, called okay. the Imagine Games Network. So it was all sorts of websites, including like uh, a Gaming Age, you know, oh, yeah, you know yeah. Gaff, like Gaming Age was part of the affiliate network as was Game, game Sages or Game Facts and all that. So that was back in, in, in the early days. And it was, it was IGN64.com or it was Nintendo64.com? N64.com was the very first website that was already at the time under the Imagine Games banner. Um, but uh, it, it was later that we had to rebrand it to IGN64 because Nintendo mm. at the time only called the N64 Nintendo64TM, all caps. Oh, right. They never used the term N64. <laughs> and so people started to call it that. And we just got to this point where Nintendo said, okay... We need the name N64 and N64. <laughs> yeah. They came to us and it's, it was their trademark at the time. And so we, uh, we figured something out. The notoriously litigious. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> but no, they were, they were really good. They, were, they said, hey, we understand you've built up the site equity. And uh, why don't we can, we, can we work on a system where there's a splash page and it says Nintendo this way, IGN64 this way. And oh, they, okay. were, they were very gracious. It was, it was good. So this is your first time on the show, but you've shared with me in advance uh, a little bit of your idea. So we will we will start breaking into the three ideas this week. Um, it starts off with you pitch the idea, and then we kind of start the clock and uh, discuss it and add to it or change it or whatever. It's like an audio game jam. Okay. So, uh, See, I'm not familiar with the process, so we just, <laughs> you just riff on it? Yeah, we first you'll you'll say what your idea is in its okay. purest form, and then uh, we spend you know five to ten minutes kind of discussing it, see what we can really turn this thing into. Okay. So, what do you have for us this week? Well, look, the the Metroid series is one of my all time favorite um, game series, and yeah. the other all time favorite is the Legend of Zelda. 
Mm -hmm. And um, when I played games like Metroid Prime, I got a little bit of a whiff of what it would be like to have you know, Metroid or Super Metroid in 3D space, but it was still a fairly kind of enclosed linear experience, yeah. right? The corridors were in 3D, but the world was still very much like, go yeah. here, go there. Now you've got the power to blast a hole into this wall. Yeah. It was almost like Doom a yeah. la Metroid. And so already at that time, I was thinking, when, when Metroid uh, Prime came out, I'm like, it works. Um, I was thinking of a third-person Metroid game set in an open world. Mm. The way that, you know, Grand, Grand Theft Auto and Assassin's Creed yeah. and Elder Scrolls and Fallout, that same direction, going into this kind of open world where you can go into any direction and do stuff. And there is kind of like a through line or a storyline um, that leads you through it. So my idea was you know, the true open-world Metroid game. All right, well, we'll stop the clock there. Um, concise pitch, an open-world Metroid game. Um, all right, so now we're entering the phase where we kind of uh, discuss and workshop the idea together. So when you're thinking about an open-world Metroid game, are you thinking more in terms of a sort of a Ubisoft-esque format where there's a lot of things to do and quest markers and that sort of thing or are you imagining kind of a, a zelda breath of the wild open air type experience it's open air yeah and you had mentioned to me at one point uh an idea that i really loved which was you you build your ship yep. so samus is building her craft as she moves from planet to planet to planet i think she should crash on the planet yeah Right? Yeah. And like you, you've played the Metroid games. Mm -hmm. Usually you go, you go down into a cave, you're a badass, you got your, you got your double jump and you can roll up into your morph mor ball and all of that. Yeah. You're a badass. Then something happens, something magical <laughs> loosens all the pieces Every from time. your suit. They all go away and somehow they can be found again, right? Yes. It's, uh, you know, it's this concept almost like, one of the worst games ever made, E.T. on the Atari VCS. <laughs> Assemble something to get off the planet, sure. right? I would love it if you crash-landed your ship and it was broken and you had to rebuild it. But rather than being this kind of like... But I would love for it to be a little bit more MacGyver-like. There was welding in one of the Metroid Primes, yeah. right? Like you could use uh, motion controls with Metroid Prime 3 to weld stuff. And I would love if there were elements like that where you have to find the tools to fix certain things, then you have to find the parts. And it, and it would be awesome if it wasn't as on the nose as, uh, oh, find the exact engine you need. But it's more yeah. like what could work as an you know, exhaust or you know, like that kind <laughs> right. of thing. That almost brings... You know, scavenger. She goes from Bounty Hunter right, to Scavenger. She really is, right. Yeah. Because that, I think that that plays off of Nintendo so often wants to find like nonviolent ways to express like gun combat or mm -hmm. whatever. So like, let's give her this almost no man's sky, like mining welding type of power. I even like the idea. If I, when I think about no man's sky, I think about the sort of, she can go from planet to planet. Maybe she's trying to get home or whatever. Yeah. And it's on each planet you find Maybe, a specific type of yeah. Metroid or resource. Maybe you only have regular kind of subspace uh, capability and you yeah. need, in order to, to jump, you need something else and it could be on a different planet and you can get to the next planet once you have restored part of your ship. Yeah. Uh, you and know, and again, like... like the Metroid gating almost plays into you get something on World 3 and now you can go back to World 2 and get something previous. So it's almost like instead of a room that you're unlocking, it's a whole 
area. Yeah, maybe you could restore partial power to your ship where you can just go a little bit higher up in, in the first world that you're on so you yeah. get to higher up places so that it becomes, yeah, Metroid has the item gate system, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, certain areas are locked away behind a charge beam or like a triple beam or something. Mm -hmm. You could play with that, but as you restore the pieces of the ship rather than your suit power, um, you could access new areas. That would be really cool. I love the idea of in third person 3D, all the sort of anytime she became in the morph ball in yep. the Prime series, it always did the third person 3D yeah. stuff. So, like, that always felt just as good as the first person stuff. So, I. I can imagine the sort of puzzles and stuff you can set up with that sort of that world. So with Metroid Prime, I remember um, we we were the ones who actually broke the story that Metroid Prime was a first-person game, right? And uh -huh. I remember when we found that when we found that out, we we were shocked. We're like, no, it doesn't work. Like, <laughs> right. and then oh, Japan hates first-person shooters. It can't be an FPS. And right. you know, then uh, we heard that it was still more like a Metroid-structured game, but it was played from a first-person perspective. Um, and then you play this game and you understand why they did it, right? They didn't, they wanted a clean camera move. They wanted something that is visually distinct from mm -hmm. the Zelda series, but they also wanted to fill a gap on the, uh, you know, on the, in the GameCube lineup. The GameCube, uh, you know, didn't have as many first person shooters as the other machines. And, they've, they've and now they don't have that issue anymore. It'd be great to have a third person Metroid game. And they figured out all sorts of control, camera control and... Yeah, they, I mean, you could still keep... Because even the first-person Metroid games had that sort of lock-on yep. type of thing. Because you couldn't look up and down, right? Yeah, that's right. Games, yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about a first-person shooter at this point that you can't look up and down with. They made you lock onto things and then circle strafe around. So it was a little bit like what Ocarina of Time had introduced. Lock yeah. on to something. Um, but then, yeah, you held down a button to strafe. And then the later re-releases changed that, actually. How do you think we? you could bring in like classic metroid bad guys into this format of game well, you land on this planet and it's supposed to be abandoned mm -hmm. and then of course it isn't like some <laughs> jackalope was trying to regrow metroid subsurface and you find this facility yeah, underground <laughs> and you realize that maybe the government maybe the very people sam has worked for um you know had had taken some of the metroids and were breeding them and you know yeah. then of course you walk in there and you realize, oh crap! Electricity went out. It's like it's like Westworld, yes, you know, yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park. It's like they thought they had it under control. All these guys got out. I like um, that. And, and, you, you, and then maybe there's a little bit of the Metroid Two Game Boy game where it's like, all right, she's getting sidetracked now. She's going to eradicate them out. She's going to have to take them out. <laughs> right. or, you know? Now, now I can't yeah. leave this planet. To, oh, you the, could the have the like a is forgotten. Like a planetary infestation level as yeah. you go from planet to planet of like how many yeah. Metroids you've wiped out. And then it would be amazing if like if there's all this machinery, all this uh, equipment, and obviously Metroids are very powerful creatures. Maybe the people who built the lab had machineries. Maybe they had a mech, mm -hmm. right? And they had soldiers down there, and everybody got killed, right? I always love the solitary experience in a Metroid game where there are not a lot of humans to talk to. Yeah. Like Metro Prime 2 tried that and it wasn't very good. Exactly. Um, but like you get down there and you find this derelict mech and then you, you go, oh, these are some of the pieces I need for my ship. Or maybe you could even control the mech. And yeah. so the mech allows you access for something else that you couldn't get to before, you know? And that also you know, could bring in some of the prime mechanics of scanning things and getting those like 
what were they, the Chozo lore entries or whatever. Maybe the Chozo ventured to many, many worlds, right? Could and be. Yeah. We're, we're experimenting with these. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Uh, you know, like part of, part of the later Metroid games, definitely building kind of a log of the creatures, you know. So since she is stranded on an, on an unknown planet, maybe you could start off with her saying, oh, there are a bunch of creatures. I'm going to catalog them. Or, oh, know. yeah, yeah, right. Like There's you, a reason to go to a new system or something. Yeah, you, or something. Could, you could do something like that that'd be really interesting. Um, and get you know rewards obviously some sort of reward mechanism whether it's uh, your trophy system for scanning 100 enemies or, or something like that <laughs> where you're building your logbook but maybe also the materials in these creatures maybe the creatures are biomechanical maybe something yeah. happened on that planet uh, maybe AI Each evolved. planet, the Metroids have evolved and, to, and, to adapt. And so as you scan um, your enemies, maybe they contain materials that you need for rebuilding parts of your ship. Oh, and so at crafting, different points, right, you or, need to like go back and harvest. Uh, like, oh, I needed the World yeah. 1 guys to, to fuel this and then particular... And maybe you can you know, take in a, a cue from survival games. Maybe you can build yourself a new type of scanner that lets you detect enemies that contain whatever, you know. Right. Whatever unobtainium you need. Building survival is so funny because survival is so core to what each Metroid ends up being about, right? She's mm-hmm. alone, she's isolated, she's trying to escape, but they haven't really gone into the survival game genre with Metroid before. They have not. No, you're right. I mean, Breath of the Wild really was the first time for Nintendo to do that, you know, for, mm-hmm. for like their, their core franchises. Obviously, there's no Mario survival right. game either, unless you count we've like never, we've never pulling turnips out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, um, we, need, no, but, we need some you know, cooking. I was thinking, you know, be an awesome element of uh, of the part of survival um, would be you've seen the movie Pitch Black, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like one of the I, I'm actually a sucker for the Fast and the Furious franchise. I really like them. <laughs> okay. I did not like uh, Riddick the the sequel, but I yeah. thought Pitch Black was really cool. It's a great movie. And I just love that concept of stay out of the dark, stay out of the shadows. When the sun's gone, you're screwed. Yeah. And what if the the planet had a day night cycle, and like at night these like super powerful creatures are out, and yeah. so you have to figure out how to hide at night. And you need to be using different types of visors yeah. you manufacture and that I, sort of stuff until you get to be a badass. Um, right. Now the Metroid games have had like for example, uh, you know there was a. Uh, your Dark Samus counterpart, and you oh, were, yeah. where you were, you were being hunted, and you had to hide. So they had some of the kind of stealth and survival elements like that, just not the craft something, build up camp, sure. you know. But <laughs> yeah. that'd be really cool if she's got like a aluminum foil tent, like yeah, you know, yeah, with a, that sort of take thermal from, material, <laughs> taking you from the Martian for yeah. some of that. The Martian, by the way, the 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 book as well as the movie it has those elements where it's like you need to solve. How do you get? off the planet right oh there there's this crashed uh you know there's this uh, the old probe or something an old probe and you yeah. need to get it back online like that kind of stuff is super exciting i think i my favorite part about this and we're coming up against time is we might find out which metroids are edible <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which well, not the green gross. ones. They're not ripe. Yeah. <laughs> and this will give us some good new amiibos as well. Yeah. So um, so as tradition on the show, when we uh, end the time, and we'll call it here, we have to title the game. So you have to give it a pending title. Metroid Samus Lives. Ooh. <laughs> Dark. I don't know. Brooding. I just dude, I didn't know we had to come up with a name. Samus Lives is good. Samus Lives is good, right? Yeah. Because we can, maybe she goes, she goes out of contact when she crashes. Yeah. So they just don't Or know. it's just Samus Lost. Samus Lost. Mm-hmm. 
And then Sam, and then the sequel is Samus Lifts. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I want to do uh, Ryan Heyman justice on this and try and come up with a related transition. So let's shut down the scanner on that one and uh, get into my second pitch. In fact, um, the second pitch this week is from me, and here it is. Pear, I know you and I both share an affection for the Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom and N64 Goemon series of games. And I want to take the Goemon series and do what Nintendo has done so well recently, which is modernizing it and almost mashing it up with some of its other marquee series in this case. A little Mario Odyssey, which I've been playing a lot of lately. That's really great. And The Legend of Zelda, kind of like what you did with Metroid. Um, And we'll start with the story, which is the uh, head of the town. I don't know what you call this guy. The guy in charge of their village, whatever. He's very old. He's dying. And as his last dying wish, he wants... Oyaji is his name. (laughs) Okay, Oyaji. They always have an Oyaji (laughs) character in the Goemon games. I'm going to give all the Japanese words to you because I can't. and he asked Goman and, and his crew to put together the best play slash show that he's ever seen before <laughs> he's going. So it's a 3D world. You're out uh, a la the 64 game and you're, you're kind of going from place to place. And the bosses are all um, inspired by the parts that you need to assemble this show. So you have a boss that you get uh, lighting from and a boss that's like the fog uh, machine and okay. the stage boss and the music mm. boss and so you're kind of collecting all these things and you get tokens or whatever so you can assemble this show and then pulling in for Mario Odyssey there are also people um, creative people writers or, or uh, people throughout the land that you can jump into their dreams and when you go into their dreams you get a Super Famicom style <laughs> go on game where you're collecting inspiration, right? So each one of them is a dream of inspiration, and you're at the end of the game combining the inspiration and all the tools of physical objects and putting on a great show wow. for this guy. All right, so that's my pitch. Um, just like before, Pear, what we're going to do next is just kind of talk about it, workshop it, uh, feel free to add ideas. Um, I know you know a lot about the series and have followed it for a while, so... At minimum, maybe you can help me out with some historical context to this thing. But, uh, yeah, let's discuss. So, I mean, not not that many people know the Goemon games, right? We should clarify that in the U.S., uh, you know, the the Super Nintendo uh, game came out as Legend of the Mystical Ninja. Yes. And in the in, in Europe as well, in a mm-hmm. in a terrible translation, actually. <laughs> and and then, then later, Goemon 64, like some of those games, got yeah. their title restored a little bit. But his name was actually Kid Ying. In the, and Dr. In the, Yang, in right? Dr. Yang, yeah, <laughs> Ebisumaru was his, his uh, counterpart. And Goemon was a real uh, character in Japanese folklore. He was a Robin Hood character, right? Okay. Ebisumaru is based on a god, um, Ebisu. And um, like, I, I, was, I, was, I remember being so mad when I played the American version and the, the horrible translation and, and the shelf so... <laughs> Felt good when they brought it back and, and restored some of the, the, the more accurate silliness of yeah, the franchise. Yeah. But um, Goemon 2, which never came out in the US, I think is 
probably the number two side scroller on the Super NES or the Super mm. Famicom, like after Super Mario World. It's so freaking good. And, and like the, you saying that you want dream sequences that are in 2D, that's like, I just want another 2D Goemon game <laughs> right. from the old school Konami team. They were so good at the time. Like they did the most amazing stuff with yeah. uh, Mode 7. And it seemed like the uh, the reason why I want to have the 3D 2D is because I think I fell in love on the N64 with the the weird locations, the snow, mystical Ninja sixty four. Yeah, it felt to me even climbing Mount Fuji or whatever, like yeah. as all these great uh, almost miniature set piece versions of Japan. And I would like to see that coupled with obviously blown out and expanded, but then coupled with that 2D, because I loved the 2D platforming game. So Goemon 2 is a trip across Japan. It goes to, all the way to Hokkaido, to the snow, yeah. all the way to like Okinawa, the islands, and the music wow. is changes to... i got to bring that game in. It's so good. Yeah, I It's really so good. It. It's two-player as well. And for the tough part, so you can play together as the two characters yeah. in the side scroll. It's super hard. Imagine like New Super Mario Brothers or uh, Rayman oh, so Legends, you, like, bounce right? And hit yeah, into you'll each other. you'll hate each other by the yeah. end of the game. But you can actually, for tricky parts, uh, one character can take the other one piggyback. <laughs> okay, that's very. But good. the jump button from the second player still controls the first one too, so it's oh, super right. annoying. So you both yeah. can jump. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. But it, you can't double jump, right? It's just kind no. of a weird overriding. Well, but the guy on the back can jump off. So yeah. you could like basically somebody could fall into a hole, and the guy on the back can still make it. Now, what yeah. is it? Do do the two D games ever dabble into the sort of his expanded crew that he gets in with the Nintendo sixty four games? Or I think it's like Yay and yeah, Suzuki yeah. Yay, the the, the the mechanical the ninja. Yeah, yeah, correct. They're um, they're in those games. Uh, what was that? Sakai or something, something like that. I, for, I forgot what the name is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're in the game. And the third Goemon game uh, for the Super Famicom which didn't come out here, was actually much more like Link to the Past. Oh, really? But, but each character had different powers. Like, she had um, the ability to turn into a mermaid. And so she oh, was she able to traverse yeah. water and stuff. So they, they have those powers um, in those games. I wonder yeah. if you could do a two-player in the new sort of open-world Zelda style game. Yeah. Like, it'd probably still be shared screen or whatever, but I think you could cause some mayhem well you can do the i mean a lot of the survival games like the more 2d survival games let you split up right mm-hmm. uh like don't starve together for example <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be cool to do that i i i even i think you could bring in the piggybacking too not only should the two because that's such great mm-hmm. i think the 2d one should absolutely have it but in the 3d world like if one person is how do you say it? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I think. If one person is playing as Yai and and Goemon can uh, jump on her and she can kind of take him across the water, so you have that uh, two player yeah. uh, co op experience in the three D world. Sasuke, the ninja's name was Sasuke. That's Sasuke, right. traditional ninja name. He's a mechanical guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's got uh, his hair can be extended. <laughs> And like, yeah. It's so ridiculous. Going one has a pipe. He hits people with a pipe. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and and one of the things I was thinking about is, like, doing. I don't know if it should be the necessarily the Zelda way, but I always love collecting the lucky cats and upgrading the pipes. And like, yeah. the, if you had anything less than the best pipe, I was always like, I might as well just restart this whole. See, level. that's like I, I, you know, I went to college in Japan, and so 
to me, like I just loved all those kind of random Japanese elements. Like the cat is the maneki neko. You see it in like rest, Japanese restaurants. It's got the yeah, paw yeah, raised the and like the different there, yeah. variants. It's like bringing money, kind of good <laughs> luck statues. And like just, it had so many of those elements. It had the cats in there and those upgraded your, your pipes, right? You like could, the, yeah, yeah, you could place those all over the world like Korok seeds or something that kind of give you, oh, you yeah. know, something in like a skill tree. Yeah. The, um, the original games also had mini games in them where oh. you would do, in order to make money oh, yeah. in the Goemon games, you would have to take on jobs part-time mm-hmm. jobs. You'd go into this building. And you got to make like, a lot of money because you, you can throw money. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. One of the powers is throwing money, but yeah. you lose money when you do that. But um, there's a power like that in Super Mario Odyssey, by the way. Yeah. But um, So you would do a part-time job. One of them was cleaning the floor. And so you're in this almost Mario Kart style, uh, 16-bit mode 7 environment, and oh, there yeah. are footprints everywhere. And it's like, doop, doop, doop. And you had to run, you had to erase yeah. it. And one of, one of the, uh, the jobs was uh, playing Gradius. Really? And it was it was like a <laughs> awesome representation of Gradius. Just a straight it, it was into the game, yeah. Really? Yeah. Just a Gradius inside. See, I, want, of... I want that Konami back, man. It was so good. Yeah, do you, I don't the know. The treasure team and do all those guys. Do you remember they also could then. like grow big and small yep. and like uh Well, there was Goemon Impact, the big robot. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the robot, I, I mean, I was thinking the robot is great for like both land traversal and open yeah. world, but also like the final boss, of course, you got to have the giant impact. Yep. robot fight right where you're throwing the fists and doing that the hook didn't you have a hook at one point yeah yeah to the if you haven't played this franchise before it is completely wacky you fight a nun as yeah. a boss at one point <laughs> yes. who looks exactly like your partner isn't it is and, there in the n64 one like a not a nude level but like a, a steam <laughs> steam house steam bathhouse level oh god I, I haven't played the 64 one in such a long time yeah it's just so bizarre because that game has stuff where you're like jumping, you're platforming on soup and, you know, hibachi grills. The interesting thing about that game was it, it preceded, its development preceded uh, Ocarina of Time. And so some of the things that they were trying to solve in Goemon 64 were the same things Nintendo was trying to solve with bringing Zelda to the um, third dimension. Yeah. So Goemon 64 actually took a lot of the elements from Link to the Past and made them 3D. Like, oh, there are a lot of puzzles that are exactly like Link to the Past, yeah. but done in 3D. Like but unfortunately, they really struggled with the hardware, and so the game doesn't run that well. Yeah, Because yeah. um, they were also building off the wrong spec, like a lot of guys back then. <laughs> Castlevania 64, too. Really? Yeah, they all thought they, the hardware was way more powerful than it turned out to be. Uh, well, yeah. they should have known classic Nintendo. Yeah. Um, Still a good machine. Let's call it here. I don't have a name necessarily for this game. Uh, I was tentatively going to call it uh, Goemon's Greatest Adventure. Okay. <laughs> so we'll go with that. Yeah. All but right. You got to have some dreams, dreams things in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. The great inspiration or something. Yeah, the dream job. <laughs> Goemon's dream job. There you the, go. That's the one. All right. Somebody Goemon. We're going to descend. From Mount Fuji on that idea and uh, go on to our third pitch this week, which is always from the community. Uh, Community listeners can write in at playwrightcast.com and you can go and click on the hey write in or just scroll down on the homepage. Also, you can send us an email of your idea, which is playwrightcast at gmail.com and you guys are totally 
the lifeblood and some of the best pitches on this show. So please keep doing that. Now let's get to this great write-in pitch from Thomas Ife. Looks like he wrote in from the website, just like you can. And Thomas writes. Greetings, Monsieur H&Q. I'm back with another video game pitch for you. How exciting. I like the how exciting in parentheses. It's not H&Q, by the way. On this episode, it's P&Q. So mind your P's and Q's. And I'll move on. (laughs) Thomas writes. The premise. A heist game, but not as you know it. You play a bank robber, only your job is not to do the actual robbing, but to case the joint. I envisioned this part of the game to be in first person, as you explore a location making mental notes of points of interest, a well-placed camera, a trigger-happy security guard, maybe you catch the sequence of numbers that the teller punches into the keypad. You have a limited amount of time, between two and five minutes perhaps, to memorize layouts and hazards, after which you're brought to the next stage, which changes the perspective to something like Doom's Snap Map user interface, which is kind of cool. Here, you are tasked with putting your memory to use. So placing markers on the map to indicate where things are for your fellow criminals, as they're the ones to perform the heist, the more you remember accurately, the better their chance of success. As the game progresses, notoriety comes back to haunt you, and you may be forced to talk your way out of being spotted. You might need to purchase disguises or even approach the areas from different angles, but the possibilities are endless. So, with Tom's hands-off criminal ring ready to go, uh, let's start the clock and break this one down. What do you think, Pear? That's cool. Do you, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of... Uh how the old Rainbow Six was, the old, old Rainbow yeah, Six, yes, you know, yes, yeah. you had to plan your mission beforehand, and then obviously GTA has a heist mission too. Um, but I love the idea of, of being the guy to gather knowledge. Maybe while you're gathering, while you're casing the joint, you also have to make sure that you're, you're not looking too suspicious. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, like yeah, avoid, yeah. like if a guard starts to stare, you're like, "All right, I'm gonna go over here." Like, <laughs> right. So that yeah. sort of what a, what game does that kind of like filling up? Is it Metal Gear that does the? Well, kind they of, all do it now. Yeah, right. Every open world game has like the detection mechanic. Yeah, like, huh? Huh? Like, <laughs> yeah. like first they like white white uh, exclamation mark, then it turns red. And, yeah. Whoa. I mean, if we're gonna go full weird on this, I also like the idea of beforehand. Being able to pick out your fake costume of like what you're gonna do to look incognito, mm. and if you choose something too off-brand or something, you're going to get noticed. Yeah. How do you think clown clown outfit always works? <laughs> do you think that there is? I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, could this be a multiplayer game? Could you have like multiple people trying to case the joint and then have their Maybe it's two instances, and whoever makes the most money is hmm. the, the the winner of that. Or if it's two people casing it at the same time, and whoever gives the better instructions—that's a cool multiplayer idea. It's just kind of like you're both on the same clock to case and decide, and then you see the two eyes playing out side by side, right, and you right. go like, "Oh no, you idiot! You forgot the camera. They <laughs> exactly. got detected. Oh man, they escaped with less money. Yeah, that'd be really cool." I like the idea Thomas wrote in about the more accurately you remember things. So I can imagine a system where, like, it may be based on the accuracy of the markers that you placed or the 
markers that you're using to communicate with your team on the ground, maybe those can directly affect your scoring. Or even I'm thinking there's a mode to this game where it could play out where you're not necessarily allowed to just... Like, if you place markers, I think, in advance, then it becomes a little bit more static feeling, and it might be less fun, whereas, say, if you didn't have, like, a god mode camera, but if you had to some way navigate the environment in real time and then radio into your guys on the ground about what, oh, hey, look out to the right or whatever, especially if there's voice recognition or something, but some way to communicate to them only in real time. So you had to kind of react to both what your team was doing um, as they play out the heist and kind of remember it as you saw it. Perhaps there's different lighting conditions and stuff, so that makes it you know, harder to identify. Or at night, certain things are closed up or locked down in a way that maybe you weren't expecting. So that kind of creates not only an environment shift, but then you have a scenario where you have to react constantly to the changes in the environment based on what your team is doing and what the you what you know to be the hazards rather than kind of placing markers on the i think he says the snap map view here the kind of zoomed out strategy layer view which could feel a little bit more like you know you're setting up dominoes and just waiting for them to fall down i guess thinking about when you're going to case it, I guess you would start outside the building or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the way and then yep. go in and start looking for... What do you? What's the fail state for you? Is it just you didn't make any money or you're caught immediately? How do you think you lose the it? fail state? state is, you know, you, you got detected, you spend too much time, the cops arrive and they shoot yeah. everybody. You get zero. <laughs> You know, like maybe it's like the objective. Let's say you have a team of five people. Yeah. The objective is to get everybody to the to the car and everybody escape. But maybe, you know, you can be half successful and two make it out with part of the money. And yeah. And maybe you take that money and you could also do something of like a you can build your sophistication of your operation based on how much money you have coming in from Ooh, your that's heist. cool yeah and then you can right. hire new guys yeah oh, or have yeah. multiple teams of guys yeah. so you're like now you get into this whole layer where you're running multiple heists at once yep. you know i cased five joints i'm gonna have my guys go yeah. and then watch it play out it's like it, turning this thing a little bit into or thinking about it as the the football manager uh, heist simulator where you've you know you're you're the logistics guy and things are playing out and this money is rolling in and i personally always love to see mechanics where you know the money that you're bringing in can be used on useful stuff like hiring the guys but also on just like completely ridiculous stuff like maybe you have a la grand theft auto you know a huge garage filled with cars and you have um, you know, an ever-increasing uh, sort of headquarters that you and your gang can hang out in. And, you know, then you could build in a bunch of great side content where, like, you can actually talk to the criminals or influence them and, and do that sort of stuff with within the kind of in-between-the-mission stuff. Because I think you want, you know, in, in the games-as-a-service sort of world, you want to be able to 
have something that someone can show off and be proud of, right? When they're making this great, great progress. Yeah, um, GTA did did some of that, right? They did yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you hire a helicopter pilot or something, and <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. you know, you can decide whether you're going to get the crappy guy who's cheaper or you're going to pay more, <laughs> have Which, a more reliable guy. Oh, yeah, and it's like yeah. each step of the way, depending on who yep. you paid, something might go wrong. I remember doing a heist at GTA, and it was something like I got the crappy like motorcycle driver or whatever so when yep. i was going to get away um the thing managed to go awry and i lost a bunch of money <laughs> so i'm looking here and it's <laughs> it looks like uh he's talking about doom snap map user interface so i don't know if tom means to say that like these levels are assembled by other people. I think he's more thinking of the perspective where it's like Doom. You have this first-person level, but then there's also this extend this view where you zoom out for the the level building, right? Mm-hmm. Like to see kind of like the schematic of the place. I think he's more talking about perspective, but that'd be uh, that'd be interesting if you could set up missions for others to solve, right? Or randomly yeah. generated set traps. places. <laughs> so two ways: one person is mm. like designing the place to be like heist proof yep and then the other person is going and designing the space did you ever play spy versus spy really old game i haven't played spy versus two player it's based on the the mad okay, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. black and the white like bird bird well, spy yeah. And, yeah yeah but like the it was split screen and you could set you could set traps for the other player like you could put a bomb in something and then you'd be like the, if the guy didn't spot you do it like you'd be like ha ha like when you get him you can <laughs> okay. see the effect but, so you could you could as the other player have the ability to watch someone place the bomb yeah okay so if you paid attention you'd know it's a split screen game right back in those days we didn't play online yet yeah um, <laughs> you but, could uh, screen cheat it, for sure yeah. but so you had to kind of pay attention to your stuff too and their stuff and, so i like that so one person could potentially build out a level and maybe you even watch it get assembled they have five minutes to make the place or yeah whatever, snap app style and then you come in and you're like all right make sure i want you to pay attention over here they spent a lot of time placing this thing i wonder nah. if there's like a bomb inside it or something yeah yeah it would be really interesting very cool well thomas here says he's calling this game steel with your eyes, <laughs> as in as, uh, look with your eyes, not with your hands. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's open to better titles. Do you have a better title in mind? Uh, uh, <laughs> I really see. I really like the word heist. The heist needs to be in there somewhere. I, yeah, something yeah. heist. Yeah, I like. I like the idea of. Uh, I don't know if this is just a Hollywood affectation or what, but like case the joint. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Although, can you put joint in a video game yeah. and still get sales? Case the joint. Yeah. Case the joint. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our three ideas this week. As always, you can write into playwrightcast.com or uh, playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can email us. And, Pear, I. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Is there any sort of plugs or anything you'd like to, to do? Yeah, go to this website. It's called IGN. <laughs> IGN.com. Surely, but Type yes. it into your browser. <laughs> use, your, use your Netscape. Yes, turn off ad blocker. That's right. Turn off your ad blocker. Uh, no, I, I also um, I'm, I, uh, co-hosted in the interim uh, when we were looking for a new Nintendo editor. I co-hosted, I hosted the... Uh, 
uh, our weekly Nintendo podcast, NVC, Nintendo yeah. Voice Chat. It's an hour of talk about the latest in Switch and 3DS news. So check that out if you're not listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we found our Nintendo editor. So, uh, That's great. Philip, Philip is, uh, is hosting the show, but I'm on there. I'm adding random garbage. So he's, take to, he's taken over hosting duties. That's right. Oh my and god! I still, but I still add ridiculous, bad, <laughs> bad, terrible discussions to the mix, well, and ancient history, like the Goemon series. From the yeah, look, I, I have not met many people who actually have played a Goemon game before, so it's cool to hear that you dig them. I mean the. Yeah, I just appreciate the history and the fact that any game I can tell you, you can tell me how it had ten sequels that never released in the United States. Yeah, yeah, there was a there was a Goemon game on the DS, but like they kind of lost their way. By the way, um, the the later titles, it's Super NES was its heyday, and then N sixty four, and then it was kind of over, unfortunately. But uh, maybe maybe you're going to bring it back now, obviously. Let's do it. We gave yeah. Nintendo two great ideas today, yeah. so yeah. it's free, well, free to use. Konami, get on it. Konami, get on it. Uh, Pear, thank you again. And listeners, uh, remember, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the number one thing you can do to help the show and help spread the word. Uh, if you love IGN or you love Nintendo, hey, this is a great episode to share with a friend or send to someone who loves uh, Metroid or the Goemon or just cool heist games. And remember, when you write in, you don't have to have exotic ideas. Instead, you can literally write in and say, I want to mash up game A and game B, you know, uh, like what, what we had done really this week. I also want to thank Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off of his album Blue Noise. It's really, really good. And we'll be excited for Ryan Heyman to return to us next week in our more traditional style of uh, studio podcasting. And each week, we like to leave you with a little something to wet your palate and maybe get your ideas flowing. And in honor of Pear being here, I'm going to suggest... Video games website tycoon, <laughs> where you have to review games and put out scores and listen to your community and do all that good stuff. So that does it for us this week. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.